Hey y'all, this is Benny, the host of the Last Week at Podcast. Before we really get into this week's episode, I just wanted to say that it's been great fun for me and my co-host Mayank to use this podcast as a medium to chat with an incredible area of guests from all over the world on a variety of topics in the cricketing universe. For a couple of amateur podcasters, this is all possible due to Spotify for podcasters. And if you want to get in on this as well, here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. As added features, video podcasts are also now available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. So if you have an idea for a podcast, give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started. Hello and welcome to The Last Wicket, a cricket podcast that recommends you not to be a spoiled sport when everybody and their uncle just want to watch another India-Pakistan T20 game. I'm your host, Benny, and thank you for tuning in. Our guest this week is musician and former Australian cricketer Shane Lee. You might remember Shane from the golden era of Australian cricket, where they seem to throw up match winners every other day. But in this episode, we speak with Shane about his new podcast series, Lunch with Lee, the evolution of mental health awareness in cricket over the years, and what ails the current Australian T20 side. You can hear all that and more after this brief musical interlude. Shane, welcome to the Last Wicket. Glad to see you here. Mate, thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, it's good to be talking to someone over the other side of the world at the moment. I'm based here in Sydney, and you boys yeah. are in the state, so it's lovely to chat. Beauty of the podcast medium. Uh, yeah. It it really has been a, a journey to interact with you know people that you know as regular cricket fans you would have never thought that we would ever get to you know meet or talk to. Uh, but Shane, I want to start. Uh, kind of slightly offbeat or slightly off topic, but yesterday I listened to the song 
Uh, it's called Can't Bull, Can't Throw by this, by this Australian rock band called Six and Out. And I was just, it is so catchy, first of all. I had to listen to it twice, and I felt bad that I have not listened to it before. And obviously, uh, it is in reference to this infamous yes. you know, incident uh, in the second test between Australia and Pakistan at Hobart in 1999. Uh, now, you are a guitarist and a vocalist. How did you and your band come up with the idea to even make a song? Was it because of the incident or was it you know, just a perfect title that just, you know? came up for you it was, it was a bit of both so my, my mother played piano so we were brought up both my brother brett and i um my younger brother grant who's actually classically trained on the piano um so we were always brought up with music and we formed a band with our new south wales cricket mates gavin robertson who played test cricket for australia off spin bowler very good off spinner um is a great drummer actually drummed with some very famous australian bands richard chiqui was our lead singer brad mcnamara brett and myself formed the band Six and Out, and we got signed. Well, I must say we weren't that good at all when <laughs> we recently got signed to <laughs> records. Um, but we, over the years now, we've probably um, played about 500 live gigs, and we're, we're a decent band now. Um, but, yeah, that, that song came about uh, with Scott Muller, I think, replacing Glenn McGrath in the test match. Shane Warne had just been signed by Kerry Packer to Channel 9 as also a commentator whilst he was playing. Um, and the stump mic picked up those famous words, he can't bowl, he can't throw. And Scott Muller threw a very bad throw into Ian Healy. Um, mm-hmm. And, of course, Kerry didn't want Shane Warne to take the rap for that, so he blamed Joe the cameraman, we believe. Kerry's <laughs> <laughs> not here anymore. He's alive to defend himself. But um, And we thought it was a really good idea for a song. In, in Australia... Um, and I'm pretty sure like around the world, when you hit the ball over the fence, um, you, you get six runs, but you're out. So we, we can't really nice. six and out. And that the, the, our hit song was Can't Bowl, Can't Throw based on that incident. Lovely. And, you know, yeah, that, that rule six and out, I think it applies in India too, especially when yeah. you play in the gullies and the streets where you can't really afford to lose uh, a cricket ball. So right. very familiar with that. But uh, great song. And I know your brother really channeled that into some singing gigs in India and Bollywood. So was there any plans to get Six and Out kind of more international, uh, to go more international? Yeah, look, what the only problem's been, we've all been so busy with other aspects of our life over the years, but we actually reformed. We always say we're a bit like the Eagles. We've been on a 14-year vacation. <laughs> um, we just reformed and played recently um, – Two, two gigs in Sydney. So that was fun. And we're going to play a little bit more now. So look, who knows? We, 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 we may be getting on a plane. We have have had a lot of interest out of India in the past to go on there and play. And as you know, Brett um, recorded a song with Ashley Bosley over there, um, mm-hmm. which I must say yeah. was, was a Brett's highlight of his career. <laughs> <laughs> when he played it to me, he goes, what do you think, Sean? I go, oh, I wouldn't be releasing that. He goes, well, no one will see it. I said, mate, there is a thing called YouTube. <laughs> And, yes. and history shows that it went to number one in India. So a lot of people have seen mm-hmm. it. Yep. So Brett said that. I don't know if it was because of Brett or because of it, it was Asha Bosley. But oh, uh, a combination, combination of those. <laughs> but, you know, uh, speaking of which, you know, your, your, your latest venture, uh, 
lunch with Lee, uh, you're bringing together a wide variety, wide variety of people who have been successful in their fields. So it's not just sports persons, it's musicians, business leaders. And one of the things that struck me about uh, your podcast is, well, first of all, there are so many podcasts out there yep. by former cricketers, former sports yep. uh, persons talking about wellness, how to better yourself. But there are very few podcasts that talk about being good to others, mm. being good to people around you. And that's one of the things that stood out to me about you. your podcast. So can you can you talk to us more about what your intentions or your goals are uh, with regards to your podcast in this overpopulated you know, world of podcasts. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for those kind words. Um, first, the idea of Lunch with Lee was to bring together the three passions in my life, which have been sport, music, and business. Um, I've seen to collected, and it's not the right word collected, but got to meet a lot of people over the years from all those three areas. Um, and I love the Graham Norton-style TV show where he brings people from different backgrounds in life and somehow has a common thread. That's what I try and yeah. do. So I have like a musician with a, say a musician one day or a businessman with a sportsman. It, it can vary. The underlying thing for Lunch with Lee is about men's health. I think men generally, we self-diagnose. We put our heads in the sand. We have a she'll be right attitude. Um, mm-hmm. We spend the first 30 to 40 years of our life often abusing our health. And then the next 30 or 40, if we're lucky, trying to get it back. So um, whilst... It's not a serious podcast because I want people to listen to Lunch with Lee and go, I didn't know that about those two guests. Um, I wanted to have a good laugh and I want them to walk away feeling pretty positive about the world. I think all media now is very negative. You turn on the news, mm-hmm. it's very depressing. So I want people to walk away with a smile on their face and, and, and it's an entertaining show to have a bit of enjoyment. Yeah, I... Um... Speaking of neg- negativity, uh, that's you're right. It's everywhere. It's it probably in Australia. It's in India. It's here in the United States, where we're constant. We're we're living in the world of doom scrolling, where we kind of scroll through social media feeds, and you're just left with this air of bitterness and frustration, uh, or even extending into sports itself. As fans mm. of the sports we love. Uh, a lot of the time it veers from just enjoying the performance to criticizing yeah. people, you know, criticizing yeah. players or criticizing the jobs of uh, the coaches, the umpires. Yeah. So is it possible? Is Maybe I'm, I'm coming from a more cynical point of view, but is it really possible to break through that noise and get people to think more positively? Well, I hope so. I, I like to be optimistic and, and have a positive look on life. I always have. Um, people, when I was playing cricket in the Australian team, you, you, I think you're so lucky to have that privilege. Um, 99% of people are nice to you. There's always that 1% will come up and try and take the mickey out of you or, or say something negative or cause an issue. That's 1%. Most people are very, very nice and positive. Like I, I've been to India over 50 times and, and touring around there the love and the passion for that game and the pedestal they put you on is, is crazy. And I, I just think we're playing a game of sport um, and it's nice to be treated that way. But look, I try and keep things in perspective and I, and I hope that um, 
in a cynical world, as you said, that we live in, um, not always, not 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 always, you can come across that way. I think I think you can be positive, and by by creating a positive environment on the Lunch Lead podcast, actually, that's that message will spread. Albeit small, or big, who knows? Right, um, Shane. So I wanted to start with you know you you mentioned mental health is is a you yep. know key part of that podcast. That's that's something we want to focus on as well mm-hmm. uh, because this is a topic we are all trying to learn more and more as we go. Um, so I wanted to understand your take on when is the right right time to start educating youngsters about mental health, specifically young athletes and young cricketers, because what I've heard and what I've read a lot about is, you know, they'll come through age group cricket and the ones who reach the top are already very good in age group. So they don't necessarily have to, you know, do too much. They don't have to look inside, uh, look inner, inner words too much. Um, but once they start to go further up, they start to face the heat, they start to face the competition and, you know, the mental aspect comes into play a lot more at that point. Um, so with that in mind, what do you think is the right age to start coaching youngsters about this? Well, I think uh, I've got three kids, uh, uh, two girls and a boy. Zara's 14, Abby's 12, Thomas is seven. Um, and I think as a parent, you, you want to bring your kids up to be mentally strong. Um, you want them to be respectful. So I think as a parent, you, you're teaching them from day one about the simple things in life and respect. Um, mental health is not a, not a new thing. It's just people are more aware of it now. Um, and unfortunately, in the world of sport, when you get to the highest level, generally people's physical attributes and um, skill levels are very, very similar. Yes, there are some people who are extremes, like my brother Brett, the good bowl, 160 kilometres an hour, but generally skill levels are somewhat on par. It then comes down to the mental side of things and how mentally tough you are, how to handle, how to handle success, how to handle failure, um, and how to handle all the noise that goes with that success. Um, crowds being mean to you, people, journalists writing bad things in the paper, all that stuff becomes a factor in how you handle that. There's only one real way to handle that at the elite level is to actually some, somewhat experience it. And some people don't handle it well, like Scott Muller and that thing where he, after he, Shane Warne said, you can't bowl, can't throw, he went and locked himself in a in the hotel room and left the ground the day after. He imploded. Um, so it's just not for everyone, but it's it's... You've got to make people aware of these things. The, the world is not a nice place in general. People will try and bring you down. But if you look for the right things and, and be prepared for that and aware of it, you can somewhat deal with it. And have you seen, I know you mentioned as a parent, you you obviously try to start as early as possible. Yeah. But have you seen that also in coaches, um, whether it's cricket coaches or other, other sports as well? Yeah, look, I, I think um, look, one, one of the things that, it's funny that the Boston Consultancy Group had this sort of unofficial hiring policy back in the 80s where they'd often hire the second male sibling in a family. And that by that, because the second male sibling was often looked up to the older brother, it was often tough on him, gave him tough love. Um, and he almost became a sort of insecure overachiever. Um, I was Brett's older brother. I was so hard on him in the backyard. I made him bowl to me for hours. Like one day I got 420, 420 runs. He bowled to me for nearly five hours. Then I got him out second ball and went inside and he cried. And mum made me go back out and bowl him again. <laughs> I got him out for 12 in the second innings. But I, I think um, it's really hard for coaches to give that tough love these days because 
the world that we live in, you, you can't even say uh, anything mean to, to, to anyone without them taking offence to it. So it's really, really tough for coaches to then prepare kids or young adults for the harsh world that they're going to face in the future. It's a double-edged sword. Yeah, it, it's funny because that brings up that uh, term that I hear a lot, coddling. Yeah. You know, um, where there are <laughs> there are two camps, right? Um, people, there, there's a camp where people want, you know, children to be treated, not just children, like young youngsters, um, to be treated gently, to be encouraged constantly. You don't talk anything negative. Mm. Um, but then there's the other school, which is they need tough love. Dude. Now, I, I don't know about Mike, but when I grew up, it was tough love all the way. Yeah. But now, when I raise my own children, I think I'm leaning more towards <laughs> coddling because, well, I'm still a young parent, so I yeah. guess I have to learn to find that balance. But as it applies to, you know, you know, talking about athletes who are essentially, especially young superstars in this age of franchise cricket, for instance, you know, we have these 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, they break into the spotlight, they get these huge contracts, they play all these overseas leagues, they're essentially growing up in the public eye. Now, when they hit a rough patch, some bad form, then come out, then comes out all the, you know, the social media, the yeah. memes and the trolling. And suddenly it's a, it's a whole different ball game. Do you, what approach do you think helps in that kind of situation to prepare the young athletes or the, just the young people of this, you know, this generation, which approach do we, you know, kind of talk to them, you know, is it more of a coddling approach or is it more of a, you know, like tough love, uh, or is there like somewhere in between, which well, works best? I think it's somewhere in between, but I think um, social media, uh, if, athlete, if, you, if you don't like what you read, and majority of social media, um, if you're on Twitter and that's negative, get off it. Um, Stuart, yeah. McGill, Stuart McGill would always only ever read the paper when he did well. And <laughs> he said, well, why would I read something that's negative? Why, why would I right. try and change the thoughts in my own head about something negative. I'd rather read it when it's positive and feel good about myself. And you can almost take that approach to social media. Um, but the problem is that, you know, even kids who got bullied at school used to be able to go home from school in my generation and that was it. You're home with your family and you, it was fine. You were worried about next day if you're going to get bullied. But it wasn't until the next day. Now you can be bullied 24-7 if you're on all those social platforms. So it's really, really tough for the kids. And um, I think all of us are trying to learn the best way to navigate that. Well, you know, in your podcast, you you are talking with a wide variety of people, mm -hmm. and you know, not just from the sports world, um, but from you know business or from music. Um, is there anything that surprised you from any conversation that you had with one of your guests that kind of opened your eyes or kind of threw a spotlight into something that you didn't really? think about before you didn't realize before especially as yeah. it pertains to managing your either mental health or just the way you approach life well that that's a great question so um the thing that I, the overwhelming thing that i didn't realize at first but now i reckon i know the answer and the answer is that when i was playing cricket sport um all the sportsmen wanted that they, they were really attracted to the musicians um 
they wanted to be a rock star themselves. And when I met mm-hmm. musicians, they all wanted to be sportsmen. And now I re- huh. the reason for that, I reckon, is now is that to be a successful sportsman, you have to be somewhat unemotional. You have to be able to do what you do day in, day out, not worried about the game situation, not worried about all what the press is saying. You just do your job consistently. To be a, an artist or a musician, you have to be totally emotional. So it's opposites attract. And I, and right. I, and I reckon that's I'm, – I'm now taking that away with the way I'm bringing my kids up is that um, – there's three compulsory things for my kids. Education's a non-negotiable. They're going to get the best education. They're going to do it no matter they like it or not. That's my job as a parent. <laughs> I want them to play a team sport because you learn a lot from that. If they want to do an individual sport, I'll support that. They still have to play a team sport. And I want them to do an art or, or music or, or some sort of part of the arts because I don't want them to be totally unemotional with sport and I don't want them either to be totally emotional as an artist. I think right. I want them to understand the whole gamut of different people. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I, I guess one of the things I'm curious about is, is there um, something from a mental side perspective that you've seen change, you know, from the time you were playing in the last two or three decades, uh, whether it's, I mean, obviously you've mentioned this is not a new concept. Obviously there's more, you know, information awareness about it, but have you seen more specific drills, more specific exercises that people do cricketers in particular do to manage their mental health these days no i don't think so and i think they're way behind on that i think it's still not given the attention it deserves it's a bit of it's a bit of hearsay at the moment um that the biggest difference is that people now are allowed to say they're not feeling mentally okay where in my generation you were considered weak um if you admitted you had a, a mental flaw um You'd, you'd probably get dropped and you'd be ostracised from the team if you if you felt down or um, in whatever capacity you were depressed. But the great thing is now that you're allowed to actually admit that and you're not judged straight away um, and you have the, hopefully the capacity to, to deal with that. How it's dealt with, I think we need to get better and I think we're all learning that. But that's been the major difference in from the shift from my time. Yeah, and that's that's a great point because I, I remember reading Ricky Ponting's book where he had talked about uh, trying to navigate Harbhajan Singh in 2001. Yeah. And as he was trying to you know talk to coaches, they gave him you know some sort of generic advice saying watch the ball harder, mm. um, you know you got this, and you know so something very generic to just cheer him on. Uh, today we have a lot more video analysis. So that aspect of the game, whether it's a technical aspect, whether it's just opposition research, whatever you want to call it, all of that has moved on a lot more. Um, so it should be, in theory, uh, a little bit easier to to understand when it's you know technical issue versus when you know it's mental preparation. But uh, but do you think that's that's actually happening? Like, do you think there's improvement on the mental health uh, side at all uh, in the last two, three decades, or all the focus has been on techniques and you know video analysis as an example? Well, it's definitely on techniques, but that doesn't that will help some people. But it depends on how you process information. Um, you can suffer from analysis paralysis. If you gave someone like Andrew Simons that much information before he walked out the bat, he'd be a walking mess. Um, if you just give him very clear, you make him feel part of the team and, you, and, you, and he, he's prepared well, he's done a lot of right things off the field, he's trained hard and he's hitting the ball well, 
and he walks out with the one thing in his mind is to watch the ball, he's going to get runs. Um, so it depends on the, on the, on the individual. There's a lot of, um, as you said, statistics and analysis now. And for some people, I reckon half of them, that's actually a hindrance. Not, not doesn't help. And it actually creates a lot more noise in your head, which could be turned, be deemed as having, you know, um, brain overload or, or, or feeling somewhat confused and, and down and, and, and less confident at the end of the day. No, that's a great point. Uh, and, and that kind of leads to, you know, your point about different players needing different things leads to player management. Obviously, it's, it's a slightly different topic than mental health, um, but how players are managed, how they're feeling, that obviously has a big impact on their mental health and on their performance eventually. And this is a challenging ask because, as you said, uh, some people will like a certain type of treatment. They're used to that. Some will, you know, uh, like to be coddled, for the lack of a better word. Uh, have you seen specific examples? I know you mentioned Simon, Andrew Simons just now, who did not need all that information. He just needed to be, you know, feel included and feel part of the team. But are there any others who, uh, in your career, whether it's, uh, you know, around yourself or that you've managed that where you felt that, you know, um, that person needed some special attention or needed handling in a different way? Yeah, many times. Many times when I was captain of New South Wales, um, the, the one that comes to mind, unfortunately, was another, another mate of mine passed away, Shane Warne, uh, in the 99 World Cup, which I was part of. Um, Warney was a great Warney was a great man. I was single at the time, and Warney, he was always single on tour. <laughs> so we had some good times <laughs> together. Um, but he, uh, at the time, he was caught uh, by the press in his underwear with a number of, a number of girls, um, and really he went on a downward spiral. He wanted to leave the actual team, and we all got around him and supported him and, and made him feel really special. He was a key member of that side. And literally, he was on a plane to go back to Australia. He'd, he'd had enough. He said the press were out to get him. Uh, he was embarrassed about his situation. And he just didn't want to play cricket anymore. Hated the game. We as a team, through Steve Waugh, got around him and really supported him. And, and thank goodness, he agreed to stay on. And history shows we ended up winning the World Cup because of that. So it was a really tight bunch of guys that really got around their mate then and looked after him. Yeah, and, and what's interesting about that uh, wonderful story is, uh, you know, it's uh, in, in, document, in autobiographies of many of the stars who played that World Cup, uh, there have been conversations about, you know, not everybody being, you know, everybody's best friend. And, and that's normal, like at, at any workplace. But it's, you know, trying to find that right balance where everybody still feels supported um, mm -hmm. while, you know, you're still competing for spots in some occasions or, or, you know, whatever it might be. But you still have to find a way of bringing the best out of, you know, individual people. That, that's it. That's, and that's 100% correct. It's about, um, as you said, you don't necessarily, I've worked in the workforce since retiring from cricket. And there's people that you like at work. It's people that necessarily don't like as much. And you don't have to socialize with them. People often think that when you're in a sporting team, you're all best mates, but that's not necessarily true. Um, I've got some great mates from cricket, but most of my mates are outside of the game of cricket. So it just depends on the person once again. But yeah, it's, uh, it's about coming together with that collective goal, um, having a culture that's really strong that even that final, I didn't play the 99 World Cup final, I was 12th man, um, but I still felt really part of that team and part of that campaign like everyone else did. It's fantastic. Is it 
easier when there's a winning culture in place. You know, just before you came on, uh, you know, me and Mike were talking about how that Australian team, you know, the early 2000s, the, the late 90s and the early 2000s, uh, it seemed like anytime they brought in a new player, you know, he would come in, give like a match winning performance and then go away. Yeah. You know, people just just fit in and won games. Uh, do you think that kind of cult- culture kind of helps that? Because yeah. when a team, on the other hand, when a team is losing, then you hear all the stories. You hear stories about rifts, players not getting well, uh, uh, you know, along well, or there's a you know difference in philosophy between the coaches yes. and the players. Yeah. Uh, so how much does a winning culture have a role to play? Oh, it's it's everything. Oh, I've played. I played in one of the most successful periods of Australian cricket. I'm really lucky to be part of that. Um, in hindsight, if I played in a less successful period, I would have probably played a lot, a lot more for Australia, but so be it. Um, there's an old saying, winners have parties and losers have meetings. And I've played in both winning and losing games. <laughs> it's so true. When you're winning, you don't care. You're, just, you're, you're happy with everyone. You're, you're, you're not thinking. You're, you're doing all the right things and you're having a good time. And you're not thinking about all the negative stuff. The minute you start losing... Oh, you're having these ridiculous meetings, and the coaches are coming and writing stuff on the walls, and like you're going through all the negative stuff, and you're being ostracised. And yeah, it's I definitely know which which side of the camp I like to be on. It's definitely in the the, the winners column, much easier. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, uh, let's talk about the Australian team of uh, you know <laughs> today's Australian team. Yep. Um, obviously, there's been a you know a lot of upheaval over the last couple of years, change in code, change in captains. And then, of course, the ongoing T20 World Cup where Australia is hosting, um, they didn't make it to the semifinals. No. So what what do you see is uh, the major thing that is lacking for... for let, let, maybe let's focus on the T20 side at the moment, just because it's a T20 World Cup going on. What do you think is the missing ingredient? Because when you look at the side, they seem to have all the players, but they're not able to have a consistent run. Yeah, I think it comes down to, it always starts from the top, from the captain. Um, and Finch has been a fantastic player when they play, and captain for Australia. But his time was up before that World Cup. And I think most of the team felt, we, we were walking into a game with only nine wickets in hand at the start of the match. Um, he got a few runs throughout, but he struggled through. It was almost that the team were making an exception just for the captain. I think that was our biggest right. mistake. I think um, we underestimated uh, New Zealand in the first match, um, and we never recovered from that. Um, I think our bowling has been pretty average. We don't own a Yorker. Like, all this tricky, right. slower ball bounces, all this other stuff. But you look at the great teams at the moment in T20 cricket, they have a really good spinner, and they own the Yorker towards the end of the end of the innings, and that's never going to change. Um, I think right. we're almost over-engineered. I looked. I went out to the first match for a reunion with our '99 and '96 World Cup squad for that New Zealand match. It was a fantastic day. But when I was watching the team sing the national anthem, there were more support staff in that Australian team than there were players. Like, what the hell are these guys hmm. doing? Like, there's so many people in and around that team. It's over-engineered. So I think that's a big issue as well. Um, And I think the other big factor is that we didn't, on our home turf, 
didn't realise that um, there weren't going to be the big 200 scores. They were going to be smaller totals. And if you look at batsmen, are always the best players to pick. And I think Steve Smith probably should have been batting three, not Mitchell Marsh. Um, if you look at Virat Kohli, how he's played throughout this series has been unbelievable. That innings against Pakistan. And I'm, I'm right. praying, I'm praying it's going to be an England, uh, sorry, an India Pakistan final. That will be the, <laughs> that will be the, 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 the largest audience ever for a sporting event if that happens. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that's going to happen. It'll be fantastic. <laughs> it may be the largest audience, but uh, I don't think the nerves of the supporters of both sides are going to be doing too well. Yeah. Uh, but the Australian, t- what what is a way forward for the Australian T20 squad? You know, is there is it time to turn back to Nathan Ellis? Is it time for Mitchell Stark to kind of focus on tests? Who 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 is going to be the long term leader of the side? Well, should be. we don't know. We don't know that at this stage. Um, I don't think the names going around are to, to give David Warner a, a short go. I think the chance to do that was at the start of this World Cup. They didn't do it, so so not now. Mitchell Marsh is not the answer. Um, Pat Cummins, I don't. His, his T20 bowling in the last eighteen months has not been great, so I think he needs to be focused on Test cricket. I think Mitchell Stark's still got some good a year or so in him. I think he's still a good bowler. I think Hazelwood's still a good bowler, but I'd be bringing in Ellis and some of these other bowlers to try and find that. And I think um, I, I like Green a lot. I think he can play a bigger role moving forward. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I think we, we, it needs a good shake-up. Well, when we lost the 90, 1996 World Cup final against Sri Lanka, Mark Taylor was the captain. We had Taylor and Slater opening the batting, getting 45 off 10 overs. Where Sri Lanka had Kalawitharana and Jay Saraya, they were getting nearly 80. They changed the whole <laughs> dynamic. There was a big, yeah. a lot of players were sacked after '96, and we we came together for a new squad for '99, and we won it. So that's what will happen now with the Australian team. Well, there's no better side uh, when there's a f- Australian side in full flow. Yeah. It's not always fun as the opposition uh, fans, but uh, it makes for some great viewing. Uh, but Shane. Thank you so much uh, for your time and uh, for our listeners. uh, Please do check out uh, Lunch with Lee. We'll include the link in our show notes. Uh, But Shane, uh, thank you so much for your time. And uh, we wish you all the best and uh, looking forward to hearing uh, more from your series, but also more of your music going forward. Oh, boys, thank you so much for your time. And uh, congratulations on the podcast. Um, COVID was a very tough time, but some very good stuff has come out of it including your podcast. So um, I'll also promote that on Lunch with Lee. And uh, look, I appreciate your time as well. Thanks, guys. I was trying out for the high school cricket team. Dream one day wearing that baggy green I gave it all I've got when we were done the coach called me over and said sorry son but you can't bowl and you can't throw I'm just telling you what everybody knows absolute sinners you put down all the tail enders hit you out of the ground don't ask
was Cameraman Joe So you can't bowl and you can't throw Down at Channel 9. Richie's job, well, it was gonna be mine. He sent a message on the auto queue. It said, Thanks for coming, and we'll call you. But you can't bowl and you can't throw. I'm just telling you what everybody knows. Can't throw. 